broke. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It was two years before it blew its stack. Mount St. Helens. I and my climbing partner were on the glaciated slope of Mount St. Helens when we were overwhelmed by a whiteout that completely obliterated the mountain and made it impossible for us to even see each other at a quarter of a rope's length. It was a very scary thing. On the other hand, God gave us a vision, gave us some understanding, spiritual understanding, concerning that time that we were there on Mount St. Helens. In fact... On Mount St. Helens, we were anchored there on a slope in our tent, and in the middle of the night, we began to feel ourselves slipping. So we got out of the tent and realized that our tent was literally slipping down the glacier. Our tent stakes had absorbed heat and therefore were melting out of the ice, and our tent was slipping down the glacier. Pretty scary. The lakes, the beautiful lakes that appeared at the bottom of Mount St. Helens were called spirit lakes. In fact, they were very beautiful. When God in his mercy swept away those enveloping clouds, he allowed us to see for a hundred miles down the track. It was like a knife had, a hot knife had cut through butter to disperse all of those clouds and we were able to see spirit lakes so clearly. You can't see spirit lakes anymore because they've completely filled with lava. Things change in our world. They really do. They change dramatically. In fact, our entire world is being filled with spiritual lava. So it's almost as if the Spirit of God can't even be seen anymore or felt. And where it can be, it's being rejected. How are we to be equipped for times like these? That's what we're focusing on here today on Viewpoint. Basic training in apologetics for evangelism, but not just for evangelism, for life, my friends. The Christian life is not about evangelism. It's about living in the presence of God, obeying his voice, following him with a whole heart. And one ingredient of that is reaching others who don't know him. Our special guest today, Stephen Garofalo, with his book, Equipped. And indeed, Stephen, as I looked at this, I was drawn immediately to it because I spent many years of my life climbing in the western part of the United States, climbing many peaks, having many, many experiences, and my attic is filled with uh, climbing boots and uh, ropes and uh, crampons for the boots and ice axes and all the paraphernalia necessary to climb and be protected. It seems, though, that Christians these days are not equipped. They're not equipped for much of anything, just bare, bare survival, if that. And uh, so I'm glad that you're joining us here today with this metaphor concerning being equipped, starting with uh, climbing there on Mount uh, Mount Hood there in uh, the Cascades. Welcome aboard. Chuck, it's wonderful to be here. Great analogy, by the way, and great story. I appreciate you having me. Well, how did you happen to pick up on this story? (laughs) Yeah, well, 
I remember hearing the story, and uh, you know, the Lord just brings things to mind. Uh-huh. It's the way He works with me. He puts two and two together. So I'd like to take credit for it, but um, it always stood out in my mind. Uh, I read it. It started with an article I had read, it, and I actually footnoted it in the book where um, where the, the sheriff said on two accounts. He said first they were equipped. Then he said later on they weren't equipped. And You're I was talking like, well, about the climbers on yeah. uh, Mount Hood my, that my, disappeared yeah. because they were ill-equipped. Yeah, sorry, that's right. I'm, I'm picking up where you're at. That's right. So they, that's right. I think there were. Oh gosh, they were. I think there were three or four gentlemen who went out. One turned out to be a believer, um, Kelly James. I think was his name. He was out of Dallas, Texas. And so here's the interesting part. These 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 friends. They had uh, one of them had climbed Mount Hood. I think 19 times. I believe. Wow. Then yep, they knew what they were doing. Well, it's a classic peak up there, glaciated. Yeah. Uh, a beautiful peak in the Cascades in Oregon. I've never climbed it, but I've seen pictures, and it looks gorgeous. I tell you what, but I, what would, it stood out to me is, well, how did this happen? I mean, you have you have these these gentlemen who were the very, I mean, they had done this so many times, same mountain, same route, and so what happened is, and and by the way, the, the sheriff said they were most equipped because they had literally the best of equipment that you can buy, but they made a, three real mistakes. Number one, and then they made one big mistake. They had the perception that they were equipped. They climbed the north side of the mountain in the winter. Oh, <laughs> and thirdly, now the truth comes yeah, out. So all that gear that's in your attic, you probably know all too well, when you climb in the winter, you pack differently than you do in the summer. Oh, absolutely, and that's why I've got down jackets, down gloves. There you I go. I am equipped for the max. And they did not, they, quit, they decided it was going to be just a quick three-day up-and-down trip, and that's that's what happens is, just like on Mount Everest, same story, yeah. within the thin air on that book, is um, they, you know, a trifecta, I think it was two storms or three storms converged, and two of them disappeared. Uh, Dallas, um, the gentleman who from Dallas, um, Kelly James, called his wife. He actually got a cell signal for a real brief time, wow. said goodbye to his wife, climbed to a snow cave, and passed, and they found them frozen in there later. And um, all because they thought they were equipped, but really weren't equipped. Well, you know, uh, Steve, what uh, I've discovered, and uh, I've been a Christian for many, many years since I was five years of age, as has been my wife, grew up in the church, uh, involved uh, in a pastor's home for, my father was a pastor for 50 years, and uh, his father was a pastor, and so I have that kind of inheritance been involved with many different denominations from coast to coast, and what I have discovered and discerned is that most Christians are radically ill-equipped for our times. Yes. They're only equipped barely for the easiest of days for a lady. But in this environment in which we are living, they are radically ill-equipped, and that's why they're succumbing to every storm that comes down the pike, especially our young people. Oh, uh, you're you're we're on the so on the same page. I get up every every morning in prayer, and I don't know where to start because because the I was listening to your episode. I think it was from one or two days ago because mm-hmm. I've listened to them both. And you made the point, and you said, well, "Hold on a second. Uh, and I haven't heard anybody but you say this as of late, which is, well, "Hold on a second. We see all Hamas, Israel. We see the 
unrest in the United States. We see the political mess. Well, hold on, hold on a second. Really, what where we dropped the ball is we had the ball as believers in Jesus Christ since the inception of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. We had the ball. We had that responsibility, and the church has thrived, but we've grown soft. Absolutely. And, and you know, we're all about having a nice lunch. And listen, we do business in churches, and you know, but but when it comes down to even teaching our youth in many, you know, the way I see it, I haven't heard anybody say this, but what I've seen in some churches even so is where the, uh, you know, when I teach junior junior high and high schools, when I address them, I usually say, I'm going to say things your pastor is not allowed to say and your parents won't. Okay, we're going to have to pick up on that after the break. Uh, otherwise, somebody might accuse you of being a, uh, a young person abuser in our churches. We'll be right back, friends. Stay tuned. Stephen Garofalo with his book, Equipped. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. And I welcome you back to Viewpoint, friends. There's no place on the face of the planet that's safe from a world ready to challenge the Christian worldview. With as many as 83% of Christian students abandoning their faith during the first year of college, most within the first 30 days, we have to admit that our students are ill-equipped for the secular world. Unfortunately, their parents are also ill-equipped. It's an inherited problem. The lack of equipment for the times that we are in. And friends, whether you realize it or not, we are in those times that all history has waited for. The times immediately presaging the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if that be the case, then we need to take seriously being equipped because the storms are coming in. And if you think the storms coming in on Mount Hood or in Mount Everest or in any of the others climbing uh, experiences, you ain't seen nothing yet. The storms that come in spiritually are called tribulation. You know what the word tribulation means? Pressure. Pressure. Flipsis. Pressure. And that is what's coming, and we see it everywhere. And uh, truth has fallen on very hard times. It's the casualty of our times. And that's the reason why our special guest today, Stephen Garofalo, has come to us with his book, Equipped, Basic Training in Apologetics for Evangelism. So uh, you were telling us, Steve, about uh, going into uh, junior high and high schools. Uh, what You better clarify what you were saying. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get myself in trouble, right? Yeah. Um, and, and this is not true of all churches. I, my church is, doesn't it unbelievable. I go to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I can tell you, it's second to none. Well, I um, was once in that church. You were okay many years ago for a men's gathering, and uh, uh, some very uh, troubling things happened there. Oh yeah, yeah every church <laughs> has its ups and downs, and, uh, and you know, hey, you know, you've got to. Uh, you know, you go with roll with the punches, and you, you got to just. Uh, well, the punches uh, keep coming, don't they? 
They do. They do. They said it's a great church, and they really do strive to. Um, they do strive to uh, uh, to equip their students. I yeah. taught. Uh, I taught middle and high school apologetics here for three and a half years, and and they they're pretty. They do a deliberate action, but a lot of a lot of I think churches are afraid. You know, churches have become a little bit industrialized at times. You mm-hmm. know, in terms of businesses, and I mean, if you perturb one family. And they're a good tithing family. You may, you may just lose a good customer. Well, um, in other words, what you're saying is that the cancel culture has invaded the teaching and preaching of the church. Yes, but that started a long time ago. Oh, it sure that, did. That, that's not a new thing. And I, uh, you know, remember the Johnson Amendment, 1954. Remember uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, and mm-hmm. when he clamp, you know, they talk about freedom of speech when he had kind of left leaning. Uh, you know, positions and the 501c3, which is what a church has exposed them. A number of them did. He put that little that little caveat and says you can't you can't promote or criticize, uh, you know, candidates, uh, candidates, mm-hmm. or or you end up losing your 501c3 status. Now that's unconstitutional. By the way, you can't lose that which you don't have. No, that's right. So that's if right. you don't claim 501c3 status officially, you can't lose it. It, which may be the case, and if it is, hey, you, you know, uh, you know, I think about the church in China. Uh, Do you, you think know, they I, have five hundred one three C status? I, I Absolutely think they have. Not. I, I think they have. Um, you know, the C part. Don't see me, so I don't get killed <laughs> and put in jail. That's what yeah, the only right. part of the C they get. All oh, right. God. Well, your book is is about apologetics, and uh, I I, I want to introduce. I I always get concerned when I hear that word, because to me. The Christian faith is not something to be apologized for. Yeah. So to me, it's a it's a misnomer. Uh, I know where it comes from, and uh, I I want to be involved in proclaiming the truth. I want to be involved in uh, uh, doing everything I can to show the reality of the truth of God's word. But I don't want to apologize for it. <laughs> Help us with that. Well, hold on a second. You're. You're an attorney, I, I understand. Well, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you know, it, it's true that the the, the word well, in apology, other words, words count. That's right. They absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and trust me, the the enemy knows that. But yeah. it, um, you know, in terms of uh, the word apologetics comes from the Greek apologia, which is to give a defense, like right. in a defense and be in a courtroom. And so that's all you're doing. You know, the the, the famous verse, 1 Peter 3.15, says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Right. And I think a lot of times we, we forget as well the ending part, which is with gentleness and respect, or meekness and respect. Right. And, because um, I'll tell you, uh, and this is a pet peeve of mine, the majority of those people that see themselves as apologists in the general Christian realm yeah. are some of the most defensive, argumentative, uh, ugly, mean-spirited people I've ever come across. I, I can't believe you're saying that. I love it. Um, well, it's true. Just, I, I remember I, I, I was at the National Christian National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Yeah. We were t- uh, riding a bus uh, back and forth from the hotel, and one of those guys assaulted me. He must have been in his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. And, I mean, I couldn't get the guy to shut up. And uh, it, it was obnoxious utterly obnoxious <laughs> all he wanted to do was argue and he yeah. thought that defending the faith meant arguing 
Yeah, I, so I would. So, and the younger they get, the worse it is usually. Oh, you're right. Um, and this is so. Let me just back up because you make an incredible point. Um, you know, it's amazing to me. You would not believe. I'm an apologist twenty years, but I'm really, as I tell my friend Dell Potter, we're biblical apologists. Mm-hmm. You know, if you when you study under men of old, the Dr. Geisler I studied under. He, you know, right. Dr. Geisler. Geisler he, he put the script. He may have been direct, but let me tell you something. He put scripture first, and he respected people. But you know, but he did not bend on the truth. Dr. Barry Leventhal, Dr. Richard Howe, Dr. Tom Howe, Dr. Wayne Dessler. These are men. I thought about it sitting in class. Some of these men. I was in diapers. They were. I was in diapers when they when they were when they were doing missions and in the pulpit. If you get apologetic information in and of itself, you become haughty. Yeah, exactly. And and you just you think that you can argue your way through the logic, and the logic's important, very important. But the thing is, is you have to have that mix of the head and heart. Isn't but it, it really... interesting that we know from history that a man convinced against his will will be of the same opinion still, no matter how much you think <laughs> That's you right. know, no matter how how swift and wonderful. And uh, ele- the great, your elocution of your arguments, it's not going to make a hill of beans worth of difference if you're convincing him against his will. That's right. It, it, I can't even tell you. I, I'm kind of, I'm glad you said that. You just, you just turned my whole, our conversation, just, you, just let, you allowed me to open a few windows here, Chuck. Oh, good, good, good. You, you did, because, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't play with the truth. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. I don't play with that. I mean... There's major things you major on and the things you minor on, but I don't I don't play with the truth. By the same token, people people um, come from all walks of life, different cultures, right. different worldviews. Sometimes, they, and I say this on air because it is, some people feel uncomfortable. So you, you might be sharing your faith with someone who's abused, but it, you know, you have to know who you're speaking to, their worldview, mm-hmm. their little bit of their. You have to know them. But we've lost the art, Chuck. Exactly what you said. I did a talk at the National Conference of Christian Apologetics years ago, and I'm a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary. Who who puts that on? And I I got up, and I was embarrassed. I did this talk called Reclaiming Culture Using Apologetics and Evangelism. I got up, and I said, this is the least apologetic-y talk I've ever given. And the room was packed, and people (laughs) wanted radio interviews and all this. Well, the reason being is what they, they, they... It was great to learn this information, but there's only so many times that you could hear, hear about the problem of evil, right? Mm. And the question is, what are you going to do with them now, and how do you apply that to evangelism, to All your right. own faith? Now you just brought up a key word, the word apply. Most of the teaching and preaching uh, of this generation in America's churches is what I call informational teaching and preaching. Oh. It's informational. It's about facts, religious facts, <laughs> And people pride themselves on getting more and more information. Most of the Bible studies are informational rather than transformational. Yet the interesting thing is the Bible never commands us to be informed. It does command us to be transformed. And the only way we can be transformed is by application of the information in such a way that it actually pierces our hearts, requiring us to make a decision. And that's what we don't want to do. (laughs) Oh boy, yes, I, I so agree with you. Um, you know, application. You know, there's, and that's. It, we live in an information age. I think that's part of the the issue here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and our, and the word of God is so precious. You know, I 
every time I go back and I and, and you know, listen, the stuff that I learned was incredible. I've learned very deeply, very well, and and I've said it before. You know, when I first got out of grad school at a seminary, I mean, man, I, I had I had one class I was teaching the Twelve Points of Christianity and. You know, half the class kind of dwindled down to two people who said they stayed because they had pity on me. You know, well, that's just, because you were just dealing with the points. Yeah, that's right. That's the facts. That's right. Now what it's do a, I do with them? Yes, and it took a pastor, a godly man. <laughs> it is. That's right. And he said, Steve, uh, his name is David Grazia, Doctor David Grazia, and he said, you know, and he he would meet, he mentored me for about five years. He finally broke me on a napkin at McDonald's. Mm. He said, he says, go to story to facts. Well, in the apologetics world, they'll tell you that's a that's like it's like. You're going to hell for that. That's an evil thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so if you're teaching academia, that's true. But you have to you have to really pick from the basket, depending on who you're speaking to. But people relate to people. But I want to point something out. You you made a good point. Think about how Jesus taught, and I don't think anybody could teach better than Jesus taught. Right. And he used a lot of parables, and he talked fairly simple. I don't remember any. He used a lot of scripture. I just don't. Rec- and he used apologetics. He used a lot of logic. That's how he, you know, he knew he was being tricked, and mm-hmm. he, he twisted and turned. So he did everything an apologist did, you know, does. But the only difference is he did it with a with a stern and and a firm heart. But he did it with a loving heart. He was right. a perfect mix. Yeah, he wasn't gentle Jesus, sweet and mild, with a little halo on his head, <laughs> and neither was he Billy Goat Gruff. No. Yeah. All right, now. I want to make your book available to our listeners here before we go further. Uh, Equipped Basic Training in Apologetics for Evangelism is going to be very helpful for many, many folk. Uh, $19 is going to put it in your hands. It took a piece of work to put this together, and uh, it's going to be very, very helpful to you. It's on our website, saveus.org. It's called Equipped. No, it doesn't have all kinds of mountaineering equipment in it, but it does have the necessary equipment you need to be able to understand what you're up against and how to discuss our faith and the God that we worship. And uh, so I think it's going to be very helpful. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we're going to get it in your hands. You were talking about truth, and uh, truth is the number one casualty of our time, uh, but it was like that in Jesus' day, too. When Pontius Pilate confronted Jesus, Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth, and Pilate sneeringly, like today's people, sneeringly respond, what is truth? What is truth? Well, you say truth is telling it as it really is, and truth is what corresponds to reality, and truth is what is. Well, that's true, but in this day and age, truth is not is only how I feel about it. Feelings have replaced truth, have replaced the faith once delivered to the saints. How in the world do you convince people, and young people in particularly, that have made feelings their Lord to argue with them about the facts of religious truth. Oh my gosh, you really just hit it so square in the, <laughs> the little dot in the middle. Uh, uh, you know, so I'll tell you, you know, you were speaking to, we lived in a, so so what happened is, going back to that talk I did, 1989, a gentleman by the name of 
I think it was Bruce Kallenberg was his last time, I know. He did a study and said that we stopped really doing Bible studies, discipling. In about, about 80, 1989, the church model changed. Well, postmodernism was already rolling in, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Where we And here's the deal. We define truth by emotion, by the five senses, your mm-hmm. smell and your feel and, and touch. You know, Kirby Anderson interviewed me once. Yeah, well, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Yeah, no, that's right. An evangelical right. Christian told us that in song in 1970s. Yeah, you can't criticize me if you have not walked in my shoes. Eminem, I put that quote. I think it's in, in there. Yep. But, it, you know, Dr. Geiser said something in class, and he, he was a little more direct. He said, God doesn't need to experience rape to say it's wrong. Exactly. Right? There you and go. There you it, go. It's a good way. But to answer your question, well, how do you we'll get back them? to that after this break while you get over the rape issue. <laughs> $19 will put the book equipped in your hands. It's on our website, friends. Saveus.org. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. There was a song back in the 1960s and 70s, How Big Is God, How Big and Great His Vast Domain. But what if you didn't believe in God? Can apologetics correct that problem if you don't believe in God? Well, maybe not. If you're convinced against your will, you'll be of the same opinion still. And the Bible says that the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So those who are claiming there is no God, you're already dealing with fools from the biblical description. So how in the world are you going to convince such a person about God? Interesting question there, uh, Stephen. Yeah, yes, that's a, that's a, <laughs> I'll tell you a good, that I like to talk in stories because you say, how do you do that? I remember the first time I was working with a youth pastor at my church, and we were doing a, a conference called Defending the Truth. We were working, about three, working with about 300 middle high schoolers, and we were doing a, de- a debate, and it was on the issue of sexuality. Mm-hmm. And one guy had to be the good guy, or I should say the Christian guy, and the other guy had to be more or less the alternative kind of guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's, so we were just ready to start, and he goes, well, why don't you be the other guy? And I said, I'm too old to be the other guy. I'm being funny. But the point was, so we had this debate, and we debated the issues. And the way that he responded to me was rather blunt, and it was a real wake-up call as to even my own ability to reach the, the young, younger generation. Now, granted, these, these 
these they were these were good kids, but still, you know, you have them all over the board, despite what church you're at. Right. And some kids came up to me and said, "You won," and the pastor said, "You know, you lost the debate." And but the point was, I learned that, like you said, if you want to argue with people, you can win the argument. You're just right. going to lose the heart. And so, the key there is understanding someone's worldview, which we talk about. It's very important. There's two things you need to understand about people, their worldview, and kind of where they're coming from. Right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Well, Jesus uh, I, had to know where he knew where they were coming from. He, he did. knew where the woman at the well was coming he from. Did. He knew where Zacchaeus was coming from. He knew where Matthew and Peter and all those dudes were coming from. He knew yeah. that. Uh, and so he dealt with them according to knowledge, just like you and I are supposed to deal with our wives according to knowledge. You do know that, of course. Yeah, of course, I'm married 20, uh, 22 years now. All right. I well, do. you are just a young chick in the marriage then. <laughs> We've got almost 56 years here. So let's go back to the, more, the uh, <laughs> word worldview. Everybody and his brother wants to talk about worldview. It seems to me that the bigger problem is not worldview, it's God view. Yeah. We don't have the right God view. Yeah, so there's really truly untrue worldview. That and if you if you if you exactly what you're saying, that is a the truth of God worldview. Worldview is how we see the world, it's how we make sense of everything. It, it it's how we understand everything mm-hmm. from creation to why we are, are here in the first place. Where do we go when we die? What are we supposed to be doing? How do we treat people? Even you name it. Why are people mean? Why are people nice? Everything about a worldview, everyone, every single one goes back to God. So if you get it wrong at God, you've really got a problem, right? All right. So, so you say that there are three major worldviews, pantheism, where God is in all, atheism, where there's no God at all, and theism, where God made all and is uh, somehow involved in all. So uh, with those three, it seems to me that all three of those are involved in the merger of the new world religion. I'm writing a book right now, you didn't know that, called Messiah Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. It is going to be a fascinating read because I'm tracing where the beliefs are in our world. And the reality is, well, you say that New Age has become uh, a 20% factor in the United States. But when you combine it with the amalgamation of all these worldviews, including that of Pope Francis, you actually come up with a mixture of pantheism and theism. And the theism ultimately ends up in defining you as your Messiah in the making. Yes. And panantheism. Yes, panantheism is God is in all. Pantheism, God is all. So, yeah, those, you know, if you, that's right. And if you, so what's happened is you have atheism, that God didn't create anything, no God. Theism, the belief in one God. And people don't realize, you know, you have Jews, Christians, and, and Muslims. They're the only people who believe in one singular God. So that takes care of the worldview, but the New Age is exactly what's going on. And New Ageism, really, it's a lot of things. It's all religions kind of mixed in, but really it's it's really Hinduism um, kind of re- refitted. You know, you ever seen that? Well, Buddhism, Hinduism, yeah. uh, a little smatterings of Christianity. Yeah. Uh, it, it's all of the above, including uh, 
Baha'i. Baha'i yes. is becoming the incarnation of all of them. Yes. Yes, it, it, and and that's what's it, the New Age movement. I did a, you know, I don't know if you know who Dr. Ron Rhodes is. Yes, he's been on this program many times. <laughs> yes, well, Dr. Rhodes was my professor and taught me occults. And I said, Dr. Rhodes, when I was in seminary, he said, well, let me ask you a question. What would you write? I had one paper. I said, what do you recommend I write the paper on? He says, I would do the New Age movement. I said, why? He said, because it's bigger than all the other cults combined by mm-hmm. far. And if you look at it, it's re- and I didn't understand, so I wrote that uh, paper, and I literally ended up in the, like the early 2000s and ended up, and it was kind of scary at the time exactly what you're talking about. I ended up putting into one of my books, uh, we're talking about the uniqueness of Jesus, of uh, answering the coexist bumper sticker on religious pluralism. And, it, and I was like, oh my gosh, we're here. It's exactly what it is yep. in the terms of, Nobody wants to do away with Christianity. They just they want to just soften it up so it's palatable for everything. And well, isn't that what many of our pastors have been doing for the past forty years? Isn't that what the church growth movement was about? Metastasizing into the seeker sensitive movement and now the emerging church movement? That's yes. what it's all about. Th- that's right. That's right. Most people don't realize that in the emerging church and there's a lot of churches out there that, that hold these untruths that yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, that's what the gospels Chuck were about in the early days, they really were just fighting to keep the Gospels, the truth, the truth, without being distorted. It seems to me that the bigger question is not, do you believe in God? It's, do you believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth? That's the real issue. I agree with you. You know, fear of God is the, is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Right. And and I, I, think you, I think you hit it. You know, I grew up as a young boy uh, the Catholic Church. My dad's from Italy. My mom's Italian, both Sicilian. And, and, we you, and up... your uncle is Pope Francis, you said? Yeah, yes. Well, about half my family... God forgive you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, it, you know I, I, I read, uh, they gave me a Bible, and I'm not here to critique the Catholic Church, but mm-hmm. um, I have a lot of family in there, but but they did, I, I credit them, they gave me a, a Bible from American Bible Society, and I read mm-hmm. it. It was just the New Testament, good news for modern man. And I went to my priest, and, and, and I, I, the poor guy, I don't think he really understood it. Uh, so I said, listen, I read the whole thing. This is great. And uh, I said, but the revelation. And he, he told me three times, uh, the third time pretty sternly, don't, you know. He said, it's just a bunch of signs and symbols. And, um, but the point was, I walked away looking at the stop sign down the street. And I said, that's a, that's a sign, and that's a symbol. And if you run through that stoplight, you're, you're, that stop sign, on a very, very steep hill, you're, you're probably going to get in a really bad accident if you don't get killed. Mm. And I got on my bicycle, but I used to just, I used to go to church myself every day, mm-hmm. every Sunday. And, um, you know, no one else in my family attended at that time and uh, regularly. And so, um, but, so this has been going on a long, long time in terms of the church. And there's Protestant churches where people have gone every day of their whole life. Chuck, and they still have never heard the gospel, or they've never accepted Christ. True. But the churches, I think, it, when it, when you're dealing with money and the amounts of money, um, you see that that it, that money becomes a factor. But the fear of God is the beginning, and you either have that. And I bring the whole Catholic thing up, because I think the Catholics really get it right in terms of their reverence for God. Absolutely. You know that uh, we have many, many Catholic listeners to this program, many of them in the Northeast. And you would think, well, that's a hyper-liberal area of the country. Yes, but it's also an area in which there are some people 
who really reverence God. And they believe in Jesus. And as they listen to this program, I've had people say, you know, you're the best Catholic spokesman I know, except for your position on Mary and the Pope. Yeah, yeah. Well, most people don't realize, well, we, we studied Catholicism versus Protestantism in, in seminary. We re- And when you look at the 30, I forgot, 33, 34, somewhere in that range, of the essentials, things that cannot be compromised on, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church are spot on exactly, they, they agree 100%. It's where, where, we, where we differ is just the things that the popes have added over time. But I tell you, one thing I've learned is, man, I've talked to a lot of Catholics that are on fire for their faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, my brother, uh, oldest brother, loves the Lord, you know, and he's starting a farm down in South, uh, Central America. He's here in the States, but and he's helping, you know, the church there, um, helping them feed the poor and stuff. Now, now, I'm not talking about works-oriented, but he loves the Lord, you know, and... Um, and he's putting his faith into action, and I got to I got to commend that. You know, I've got other people. Let me tell you, I went to seminary with people. And they do it. They, they studied sixty, seventy, a hundred, hundred credit hours under some of those godly men that I've ever met, and and they do nothing with it. And I don't understand exactly. That. Well, you have a quote right here in chapter three: "To believe in God is to act as if He did exist." In other words, faith is to act on the word of God. It's to it's not just to agree to certain religious facts about Jesus or about God. No, it's to act as if you do believe. In fact, the Hebrew word believe does not mean a cognitive assent to religious facts. It means to conduct your life as if you do believe those things. Yes. Same thing. Nothing is different than when Jesus was alive. Nothing. Exactly. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they ran basically the equivalent of our church, right, in the synagogues. And and and, and even some of the early churches, you know, the Christians, they they still held to you know, the circumcision. There were a lot of issues that went on, you know, with the Messianic mm-hmm. believers back in the day. And, right. And so uh, that's where we just have to, um, there's times to be more direct and there's times to come besides people and explain to them. All right, the book, Apologetics for Advancement, is called Equipped. $19 to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Today on Viewpoint, friends, we're talking with Stephen Garofalo concerning his book, Equipped, Basic Training in Apologetics for Evangelism, 
and we don't have time to go into all the details of his book. Uh, that is for you to do. Uh, let me run through some of these chapters. Everyone has a worldview. What's yours? Does God exist? Coexist? Do all religion, uh, religious roads lead to heaven? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? How do I explain evil, pain, and suffering to others? Is morality relative? How do I know that I'm going to heaven? How do I use apologetics to defend the Christian faith? How can I use apologetics to, in conversational evangelism? Those are the chapters, and uh, that's what you're going to find uh, when you get a copy of this book. But I have a question. Here it is. I'm throwing a lot of questions at you, Steve. <laughs> I like that. Several years ago, George Barner, researcher uh, to the evangelical community, in fact, the uh, the nation actually, uh, discovered that only 9% of Christian young people at that time believed in absolute, uh, actually, mm. it was 9% of Christian young people who believed in absolute truth, and only 4% of all young people believed in absolute truth. But in the same study, he concluded that only 20% of those same uh, young people that claimed to be Christians, only 20% of them believed that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Yet they're in our youth groups. They're in our churches. They're in our uh, Youth for Christ rallies. They're in our uh, various uh, parachurch ministries and so on. What's going on here? It seems to me that the bigger problem that we have is not evangelizing the lost. It's somehow ministering to those that claim to be found but are more lost than those that uh, are lost because they claim to be saved but are not. How do we reach those? Yeah, and I think the uh, – I like that. Um, I think that the uh, – so first of all, when you're dealing with truth, there's two categories or three categories. And, and I tried this at the gym one time. I was at the YMCA years ago. Well, you in tried terms, to preach three tri- uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> categories of truth? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, I, I, there was a young man there. He was, uh, and this is when Charlotte was much, uh, uh, it, much smaller, okay? And he, uh, what he said was, I said, you know, we were talking, and, and he asked me, he says, why is divorce illegal? He asked me that question. And I said, well, everything boils down to God, Jesus, and truth. I said, but you would be surprised how many people disbelieve that truth is absolute. He goes, come on. I said, watch. So we went to the front row, and I said, hey, it was a small gym. Everyone knew each other. And really, you're right, probably, I think, out of like eight people, one person said, absolutely, it's true. Truth is absolute. And there was a lot of people that said, they said, um, somewhat agree. And Barna uses that language. So while 9% say absolute, there's probably another 20 to 30% that say, you know, somewhat. So it, they do that, uh, and I'm just pulling off the top of my head based on other studies. And you can look that up for the exact number. But here's the point. The point is that when we speak to people who understand truth and we're, we're equipping people, some of the greatest people to, to equip are grandparents. I'm just telling you. Because half the time they're raising their grandkids, number one. Number well, that's two, why I consider uh, grandparent uh, that season to be one of the most important seasons totally. in a person's life. And that's why my wife and I are leaving this weekend to spend 10 days with our grandchildren 
uh, and uh, it's going to be a time of not only a lot of fun, but some pretty serious time. Absolutely. If grandparents have, a, have one thing in most cases, not all, they understand truth. There's like, you don't have to teach them, you don't have to argue with them about absolute truth. They grew up in a time where truth is like, like if you said truth is not absolute, you'd be like a, a weird person, you know what I mean? So um, that's number one. Number two, grandparents have time. And number three, grandparents came from a slower time in life, even I have at this point in life. So they're, they're good with sitting down and being patient. That's besides the point. But so we ask these people, and, and the way it is, this is the way it works. When you're looking to equip people, you're going to have people that, that believe absolute truth exists. You have a great start point if they don't trust their, 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 uh, you know, their life eternally and here on earth to Jesus Christ. But you also have those who are saying truth is not absolute, period, those are the kind of people you have to use apologetics to remove obstacles, called pre-evangelism. And then you have the somewhats. The somewhats, I think, are the sweet spot. And that's most people. That's a lot of people. They just don't know, Chuck. They just don't know. And so you, to help them, to sit down and have them over for dinner and explain to them what truth is. And, and the apologetic model says you can't talk about Jesus until you establish New Testament scriptures are superior. You can't do that until you establish who God is and what God is. And if he exists, but you can't talk about God until you establish what truth is, does it exist, can we know it, and is it absolute? Because That's if you don't, a fairly long trajectory. Yeah. If you can't establish truth, how do you know God exists? How do you know anything's right or wrong? <laughs> Everything's relative. Well, if somebody is absolutely convinced, or at least uh, they think they are, uh, contrary to your position... Uh, you're going to have to spend a great deal of time with such people over a period of time in order to massage these issues. You can't just do it in one setting. No, no. I, 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 so here's the point. I agree with you. What you, when we're, what you want to share your faith with a, with anybody from a different culture, even a, even a Mormon today, you know, you have to spend, or a Jehovah Witness or, or a Muslim or a person who's an atheist, you really... So here's the deal. They're going to buy into you as a person first. I mean, I know that's not the apologetic model, but it's a human model. If people will listen to you, they don't really care so much about what you say until they know how much you care, right? That's true. <laughs> the old adage. And, you know, your people are different if you're dealing, if you know, if you're in a youth group it, it, and you keep hearing, I just don't, I don't believe in God, you know, and it's, you're like, hold on a second, I knew you your whole life, your parents. And then the first question you might ask is, Listen, are you, are you sleeping with your boyfriend? You know? <laughs> That's a different issue than, than, a, than, a, than a contextually intellectual question as to, right. well, you know, that's, that's different. If you're dealing with a Muslim, you really don't have that issue. Now, Muslims, um, they're pretty, the absolute truth is they don't, they don't have that issue. And that's where we, we lay out in part of the book, we really lay out um, first principles of logic. And Dr. Geiser was asked, what's the most important class in seminary? And he said, logic. Because if you, if you can't logically look at something, you certainly are not going to have the fear of the Lord. That comes out of Scripture and the Holy Spirit. You're going to miss it there forward. Well, I thought the fear of the Lord was based upon, first of all, a knowledge that there is a God. And secondly, that when God speaks, if he's God, then I better listen. Yes. Isn't that the problem? That's the problem that happened in the garden. Yes. I mean, I, Satan threw out the question, hath God said? That's the I, issue. Hath God said? 
Yeah. I, I, I personally think, remember when 9-11 happened, and you started seeing people become, you know, like, like Caucasian American, you know, Christians becoming becoming Muslims. And I'm like, what is it? And I thought, that's kind of peculiar. And I remember Cat mm-hmm. Stevens. Remember Cat Stevens? He was Jewish. <clears throat> and uh, he became a very, he lives in the Middle East now. He's famous, you know, American. And I thought, why would he ever do that? And it could be for a host of reasons. I wonder if it's because with all his fortune and all his fame, he saw no conviction in his... in his Among uh, Christians. Uh, amongst Christians or Jews, that there was just, that it was a religious thing. And he Milky probably, toast. Mm-hmm. I absolutely, and I have to wonder, really, Chuck, it, there, this happened to, remember, what was him? Remember they had the military guy, I can't think of his name. He left his post and became a Muslim. Right, and he actually mm-hmm. then to now what he was doing was wrong, and he deserved everything that the the, the country you know, did the full extent of the law. I'm not making a case for him, but I wonder what drew him to Islam, and I wonder if it was mediocre, you know, you know, just just soft, you know. Well, that's uh, why a lot of young men were drawn to the nation of Islam under Louis, uh, yeah. Mr. Farrakhan. Yeah. But I think perhaps a lot of this can be explained, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this particular article. I think it's one of the most important articles that ever appeared in a a news magazine in America. It took place on April 5th, 1993, in Time magazine. It was the front cover. On the front cover was a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. It wasn't talking about the generation that was going to forget God the one that already had forgotten God. Now, this was coming at the time after Gulf War I when Americans were supposedly flooding back to church and pastors were saying, this is the great revival that we've been praying for. Okay? That was the context. So Time Magazine does a study called The Church Search. That was the main article. And uh, they made this conclusion. Americans are flooding back to church, but church will never again be the same. Why? Because Americans are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. That's our problem. That's the coexist problem. That is where we are today. And uh, that is true among professing Christians. It is blending... It is causing the coexist bumper sticker to become a reality at virtually every juncture of American society. And it's why God has almost no active entry point even in our churches. We, we are creating in one way or another a custom-made God. If we're asked the question, hath God said that you should divorce your spouse? We say, yes, but. If we're say, well... Uh, should I remarry after I'm divorced? We say, yes, but even though Jesus said that's adultery, and the Apostle Paul said, don't you don't be deceived, neither adulterers nor fornicators nor practicing homosexuals are going to inherit the kingdom of God. We still say, yes, but. We just disagree. From pulpit to pew, we dis God. And then yes. we can't figure out why American culture is collapsing. It's very simple. You, you, you nailed it. Uh, I so in another uh, work that I did, I quote Avicenna. I mean, not Avicenna. Um, uh, we go through different philosophers and we look at um, uh, a saying that said, "Man is the measure of all things." Mm. Protag- Protagoras, 
Mm-hmm. And you're going back over, you know, thousands of years to hear that quote. Right. Um, and that is really the issue. Dr. Geiser summed it up this way, and I think he was quoting someone else. When man becomes the measure of all things, you know, and, he, and Dr. Geiser said, you know, God created us in his image, and we have been returning the favor ever since. We've grown, <laughs> we've gotten too, Chuck, listen, we, we, we have gotten so comfortable in this country. It's, you know, the fastest country with the fastest Christian growth, I believe, again this year, is Iran. The Isn't average, that amazing? Yeah, not, not even China, and China is exploding, it's still, <clears throat> but it's in Iran, and, and the average church size, this is according to Open Doors, average church size is a whopping five people, and they meet in homes, and when yep. they sing, they sing quietly, because their neighbors can report them. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of Matthew 10:28 in the ESV. It says, you know, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Maybe that's Help. our problem. We don't fear God. Go. We fear man. And the fear of man is a snare. And maybe that's where we need to begin much of our so-called apologetics. Amen. Brother, we've covered the waterfront here almost. <laughs> Uh, at least a good portion of the uh, waterfront. Uh, our special guest, Stephen Garofalo, with his book, Equipped, Basic Training in Apologetics for Evangelism. And you're going to have to get into his book to uh, deal with some of the more details. Uh, what we've done is challenge some of the, uh, uh, the big issues along the way, perhaps in ways that most apologists don't deal with. Yes, I, I, I wrote the book to be different. Uh, I write books the way that I like to read books. And remember, Good for you. remember when you open the word, you, you you pointed something out—the P word, practical. Yeah. And if there's no practical application for it, I find very little use outside of the exactly. academic walls. And that's why, and, friend, you might want to get a copy of the book, Equipped: Basic Training in Apologetics for Evangelism. Nineteen dollars. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. At saveus.org, call us 1-800-SAVE-USA, become a partner. Uh, you know, don't wait for the other guy to do it. I know so many people are listening. We have new listeners. If you value this program, you notice we don't have any commercial advertising. There's a reason for that, friends. Can't get commercial advertising to tell the truth like this. Can't do it. God is relying upon you. So do it today. Go to our website, saveus.org, become a partner. Uh, write to us. Give us a call. God bless. Be a blessing. Let's be equipped. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.